wanting her to speak at this retreat for a very long time, and, and this year we're very fortunate that she was able to arrange her schedule to come, and I, it's going to be a delightful and wonderful weekend with all kinds of nifty messages for you, and it's a real pleasure to welcome Lucille. Good evening. My name is Lucille, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for the introduction. She's right. I was here in 1983. That retreat was held in uh, Cincinnati in a wonderful hotel. How many of you were there then? Any of you? Oh, good. Then no one else has memorized my tapes. <laughs> I'd like to welcome you all here. Have any of you, is anybody here for the first time? Any of you have never been on a retreat before? Oh, good. So there are quite a few of you. I'd ask that you just kind of relax, if that's possible, <laughs> settle down, um, and just kind of listen to the things that you're going to hear this weekend. Tonight, I'm going to share with you my story. I'd ask you to do identify, do not compare. Most of our lives are very different, so your experiences will be different from mine, but most likely your feelings will be the same as mine. Tomorrow, I'll talk more about the topic, which is living in the solution. I'll break that down into three phases, and I'll do that tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, and then again on Sunday morning. Before I start to qualify, I will tell the whole story by sending the pictures around. The pictures that I will share with you are probably from the seventh grade to about my senior year in high school. These are not my top weight pictures, but they go to about 240, and they're the last pictures that I have. So I'll start to pass those around. And the other item I will share with you from the very beginning is a pair of jeans that I still own. In 1983, I bought a pair of jeans that were much larger than this pair and pretty shabby. In, in back in the 70s, when I was up to about 250 or 260, um, tattoos were in and peace signs and all this kind of stuff. And so I wore a pair of jeans that were covered like that. But I couldn't find those jeans, so I just bought these. And I'll share these with you. Here we go. Plain, ordinary, size 40. I was 18 when I wore these. Okay, and the last announcement I need to make is this question box is also for me. If you have questions that you want me to answer, things that I say during the meetings or things that you're unclear about, if you drop them in that basket, I'll look at them and I will make time tomorrow during the presentation to try to address those um, those questions, okay? Okay. All right, um, so what I'll do tonight is what it, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I was born, hmm, I don't know, 33 years ago into a very Italian family. I was one of six children. I was born second. My grandfather came from Europe. He was a butcher in this country, so there always was an abundance of food. I was an eight-pound, six-ounce baby, the smallest of my mother's six. Three of my sisters were 10 pounds and my brother was 11. So I, I was off to a good start. Um, food was always very important in our family. It was always there and it was always there in abundance. So I guess, you know, no one knew anything about compulsive overeating. We just thought that you just ate like this. So my early years, like from the time I was born until the time I was in probably kindergarten or probably first grade, I was always a fat kid. We all ate a lot. My brothers and sisters, one of those pictures has my brothers and sisters in it. We're all heavy. We're all at least 
20 to 30 pounds heavier than the children of our ages. But it really didn't bother me at that point being that heavy because I played with my brothers and sisters and I didn't really have a lot to do with these other small children. So I, I just thought we were normal. My parents didn't call us fat or people didn't tease us yet, so it was okay. But when I went to the first grade, I knew that there was a problem because I was, I was probably 20 pounds heavier than the kids in the class. And so on the first day of school, we all went to the nurse's office and we all got weighed and everybody was in line. Everybody knew this one weighed 60, 60, 60, and I weighed about 85, which was a lot more than the rest of the class. And I got that little note that says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Donahue, your child is severely overweight. That happened in the first grade, the second grade, the third grade, the fourth grade, the fifth grade, the sixth grade, the seventh grade. Every year I gained at least 10, maybe 10 to 12 pounds. Every summer I knew this would be the summer I would get thin. I was not going to subject myself to the humiliation that I felt every September 3rd or 4th with that weighing in at the nurse's station. And every year I was heavier. I didn't understand anything about my overeating then. Um, I knew that I was a volume eater. I didn't know how that happened. I just knew that that's what I liked. My grandfather gave me a quarter every Sunday, and I could buy more carbohydrates and candy and sugar with that 25 cents than anyone else in my family because it was important to me to have a lot. It was, a lo it was important to me to have the most and the biggest. And that's just what happened. So that was what life was like from the first to, the, say, the sixth grade I lived underneath my grandparents. They lived in the house above us. Food was in abundance. I knew how to spend my, my, uh, my allowance on that kind of food. I knew how to get it from my grandparents. At this, up until this point in my life, my parents weren't really concerned. Nobody was on my back. You know, Nobody started to tell me I had a diet yet, or nobody told me to suck in my stomach. And it was like, okay, the word baby fat was used a lot. You know, This is just baby fat. She'll lose this. She'll be interested in boys. You know, she'll be interested in dresses, she'll be interested in this, and we'll lose this. And, and my other brothers and sisters were, were heavy, but I was starting to be heavier, you know. Um, when we got to the seventh grade, seventh and eighth grade were, were memorable because we moved from parochial school um, to a country town, and we got to wear regular street clothes. Up until that time, I had wore a uniform, which made life easier. You just order the uniform once, one size large, and you wear that your whole, you know, for the whole year. You wear three white blouses and these uniforms. But when we went to parochial school, when we left parochial school and went to public school, then it really got really traumatic because now I had to wear street clothes, which means my mother had to buy seasonal clothing for me. You know, we had to have summer clothes and winter clothes and fall clothes, and they had to be stylish. But back then, fat was not stylish. There weren't big women's shops and big children's shops and 3X, you know, in, in hot pink and blues. There were was the women's clothes. And so in the seventh grade, I was wearing a women's size 16. So basically, I wore black, gray, and brown. Now, I, they were very ugly. I hated that school. I hated those clothes. I hated those dresses. You know, and so now the, the emotions really started to happen. I knew that I was fat now. Clearly, by the seventh grade, I had a handle on this. I, I, I could use the word heavy. I could never use the word fat or obese. I didn't like those words at all. I thought I was heavy and that eventually I would lose some of this heaviness. Um, I hated the school, I hated the clothes, and I hated being heavy. But I stayed heavy and it seemed like, like a little vicious cycle. The more I hated being heavy, the more I swore I would be thin, the heavier I got. That went on and on and on. Seventh grade, eighth grade, 
still nothing happened. I left and went to, uh, I guess, high school. Ninth grade was not too memorable. Tenth grade was very memorable because it was the year of the carbohydrates, wild out of control, and my mother decided it was time for the diet pills. So in the tenth grade, I um, went to the doctor. By the tenth grade, I was probably 200 pounds. I was 160 in my confirmation. That was sixth grade. I was 180 in the eighth grade, and I was 200 in my first year of high school. That's large. That's very large. Um, I think about that today. I, the weight I am today, I was in the sixth grade or smaller. I'm smaller now than I was in the sixth grade. You know, and I, when I think about that, coming on this retreat helps me to think about that. I don't remember all these numbers. I go on with my life, and then when they ask me to come here, I write it down. Well, let me see, 1986, I was in 1976, I was. And it frightens me in a way. When I see large people, and I think to myself, I wonder how old that woman could be, 18? And, and it hurts me because I really remember what that was like. It was very painful. Wearing these jeans, it's comical. The other ones were very funny. But it's not comical. It was very painful. Um, I hated my high school years because most girls were wearing a size 10, you know, and they were cute and frilly, and I looked like the quarterback with a, you know, the halfback for Notre Dame. Um, you know, and my father was a very large man, and he never knew that I felt like that. I occasionally, once or twice in my recovery, I shared with him how I felt about being heavy, and he said to me, you know, I never knew you felt that bad about being heavy. I was big my whole life. I, it didn't bother me. I said, but, you know, you're a man. It's a big difference. You know, he was a, a, an athlete, and, you know, he, he didn't, his weight doesn't bother him. To this day, it doesn't bother him, but it always bothered me. I, I didn't like being heavy. Um, I acted jolly all the time, you know. I was one of these fat, happy kids on the outside mm -hmm. and an angry, frustrated, lonely, sad kid on the inside. You know, my parents don't want to believe that, you know, when I, we talk a little bit about it. They do now because it's been a lot of years. But in the beginning when I told them I was really sad and, or depressed, and that's probably why I was overweight, they'd, they'd just, no, 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 you were always a very happy child. You were always a very loving child. And I think I needed to be loving and happy and jolly on the outside because I was so angry and frustrated on the inside. Um, I was teased unmercifully. I'm sure you all know that. You know, I mean, if I hear another kid say fatso, I mean, it used to make the hair on my neck stand up. I just, I hated being teased. I hated being made fun of. But, you know, you take the brunt of it. You're either the biggest kid in the class or the smallest kid in the class or the kid with the glasses or, you know, children are cruel just because that's what they know. You know, it's funny to laugh at people and, you know, makes you feel good, makes them feel bad. And so I was the brunt of all that. And I think to protect myself from that, I used to tease myself before they would. I would make jokes about being fat because I knew somebody else was going to say it. It hurt me less if I said it. So I became abusive to myself. Um, I acted like I didn't care about my weight, but every minute of every day I cared about it. Um, I used to look in the mirror and just like kind of hold, I was like very heavy on the top. And, you know, like big stomach, big waist, big chest. And I used to think, you know, one day I'm just going to close my eyes and this is all going to be gone never went away like magic, but I, I really wanted it to. You know, I used to think if there is a God, I wouldn't be thin like this. You know, I wouldn't be fat like this. If there was a God, if God loved me, I would be thin. Um, and it never happened. So in the 10th grade, my mother took me to the diet doctor, and I got the little pills, and um, I was on, it was like speeding. And, it, and I didn't like the feeling. Uh, some people like the feeling of drugs. I did not. I took the drugs, um, 
My mother took me to the doctor, and he would weigh me in. I was probably 220, something like that. I lost about 10 pounds in, I don't know, the first two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. But I didn't like the drugs, and I stayed awake at night, and I was cried a lot, and I was unhappy. And after I lost the 10 pounds, my father told me I could have a little bit of this uh, dessert as a little reward. And then I realized that I could eat this stuff um, and take the pills, you know, because the pills, they suppressed my appetite, but they didn't, it didn't make it go away. And what was the difference? I was supposed to eat a little bit of food. Well, I could eat just the dessert foods instead. And so I started to do that. And, and then after a while, I, a short while, I convinced my mother that the pills really were damaging, that I really couldn't sleep and I was too nervous. Um, and I would lose the weight anyway, you know, it was only the 10th grade and I, I was only heavy and I was athletic and my mother was convinced that I didn't have to take the pills anymore. So I didn't. I stopped taking the pills and I was supposed to do it on my own. But now came the rep, you know, the, the, uh, the bombardment of holding that stomach, stand up, you should wear a girdle, you know, and on and on. And so I, I really, I felt, I felt horrible. I felt unloved by my family um, because I wanted them to accept me the way I was, even though I hated myself, but I wanted them to accept me. I'm sure they liked me and loved me, but they, they felt bad for me because I was so heavy and unhappy. So this was kind of like the vicious cycle. Nothing happened with that. I continued to eat. I got heavier. By the time I got to the 12th grade, I had now played basketball, learned how to drink and smoke a little marijuana because that was the in substance. I was sharing in the car today, I probably never would have tried marijuana or drank if it was socially accepted by my peers at that time to have stopped at the Dunkin' Donuts and gotten what I wanted while they went to the liquor store and got what they wanted and I was able to just eat while they drank. But that wasn't allowed. So instead, I had to drink first and then after, of course, after we drank or got high, then everybody could binge and then, of course, I would really be thrilled because now I would be back with my substance of choice. So I did that for the 11th and 12th grade and so of course I did not prepare for my college boards. I didn't really give a, didn't study a lot. I was not a real good student. I was too busy acting out and doing those other kind of things and running everybody else's life because I didn't have a life of my own. Um, I did terrible on my college boards and I was not accepted to the colleges of my choice in Jersey. No surprise. I was like humiliated, everybody's going away, and um, so I decided to run away. I went to a little college in North Carolina. You didn't have to apply, you didn't have to pass tests, all you had to do was have the money. So I um, got the money, told my parents to sign on the bottom line. My mother cried because it was 800 miles away, and I knew in my heart that it was all their fault that once I got away from my mother and father and my Italian family, and I went away to college and I could only eat three meals a day that I was going to get thin. Wrong. I got down there and of course I had to have a job on campus and I worked in the cafeteria. That was pretty clever, right? Here I am going to lose over 100 pounds. So I get this job in the cafeteria and you have to come to work early so we would all go to work early and we would eat. And then we would serve and notch while we were serving and then we would eat again. So three times a day, I did that six days a week, uh, three meals at each time. That's like, you know, nine meals a day. You know, I, when I came home at Christmas, I was now peaking at about 245. I was wearing my father's slacks, um, size 42 and a half, I guess. 
And they were very concerned. I remember my father saying to my mother, what are we going to do about her? And, you know, I just, like, would shudder. They couldn't talk to me about it because I would start to cry. As soon as my mother looked at me like she was going to say something about how heavy I was, I would start crying. And I'd say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. I'm, I know. I know what you're going to say. I, I am trying. I am trying. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to try. I didn't, I didn't really know how to eat. There wasn't, there wasn't really any kind of discipline in my life. I, I always ate as much as I wanted. And I didn't realize that whatever mechanism in my body that was supposed to stop me after this much didn't exist, so there never was enough. I just kind of kept eating and getting bigger and, um, and bigger. And I, I really kept thinking that eventually I was going to, like, you know, slim out like my brothers and sisters had. They all had, they got, they're, they're normal people. They, uh, well, one of them, I have to say, went on to, to be as obese as I was. But the other four really just slimmed right out. And I just kept waiting for, like, the magic. When do you wake up and have no more baby fat? Um, I thought that I could just eat the way I was eating. But that didn't happen. So here I am, 245 pounds. I'm down here in North Carolina doing what I want to do. I was there for two years. And then coming to the end of my second year, I was about up to 250. And it was the first time that my health <clears throat> frightened me. It was harder for me now to walk upstairs or walk long distances. I had always been athletic. You know, I had never let my weight get in the way. I was heavy, and that was the end of it, you know. I wasn't a great athlete, but I had a good sense of humor, and I was kind of fun, and, you know, I, I could get along, and that was the way I, I did it. So I, I felt like I could, uh, my life wasn't being hit inhibited by my weight, which was a lie. The life that I have today, I did not have when I was 250 pounds. Um, but I kept fooling myself. But it, it, was, it was really. So I, I really got afraid. And it was the first time I really thought that I could have a heart attack. I was 20 years old, eight, 19, 20 years old. And I thought, I could have a heart attack. I could have a heart attack 800 miles away from where my family is. And, and you know, how would that be? That would be horrible. Um, I didn't stop eating, but I dropped out of college. I also dropped out of college because my grades were the pits, and probably they were going to fail me out of college. But to save me from all that embarrassment, I decided that I should come home because I need to get my life together. You know, all those things you say. I got to get my life together. I got to rethink this. I don't really want to know what I want to major in. I couldn't call my mother and say, listen, I'm eating out of control. You're right. My weight is the biggest problem in my life, and I need, I need help. I need to come home. No, I didn't say that. I just told them I was very together and that I had rethought this and that I had a different direction to go in. So I came home. This is the part of my life which is a real daze for me because I didn't do anything. And I'm really embarrassed to say that, but I didn't do anything. I came home. I was 20 years old. I was 250 pounds. I didn't want to get a job. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to be harassed by anybody. I had no friends. My sister used to say to me, why don't you read the classifieds? And I would like to cry because to get a job, you had to have clothing. And to buy clothing, you had to go to the store and buy it. And to buy it, you had to be... In, and that was just too much hassle. I wanted to wear jeans and hang out and just kind of be in the ozone. And I'm embarrassed to tell this story when I, when I do, but it, it's really what my life was like. I was a non-functional. You know, that's why I'm telling you, do not compare. You know, identify. I felt bad. I was unhappy. And I chose not to function. A lot of people do function. I mean, I know overeaters, they were top achievers. But that was not my... That wasn't me, you know. I was in the bathrobe until late in the morning, you know. What did I do from the time I came home? I hung out with my mother. 
you know, she didn't have to work. She had to raise six kids, so she didn't work. And I came home, and I didn't either. So I hung out with her, and uh, my other brothers and sisters kind of stayed off my back because my mother kind of took care of me. And, and, I, and sometimes I used to feel like the special child. It was like, there was nothing really wrong with me. I'm not mentally ill. I'm not retarded. But I almost got treated like that. It's like, don't bother her. And I really started to understand that my parents were starting to get it, that I may have to spend my whole life with them, you know. Here I am, 20 years old, I have no friends, no dates, no job, no interest but eating, um, and I live with them. And they were, that was fine. That was really fine with them. I have one sister today who still lives with them. She's in her 30s. Um, and they would have been happy to have me right there. And so I stay with my mother. Um, this was 1975. We're getting close to the what happened. So I'm miserable. So in 1976... Um, after hanging out with my mother for six months and she realized I was so terribly depressed, she asked me to go to a meeting with her, a church meeting, which was pretty common in our house. We went to church all the time. So she asked me to drive her. So I said, okay, I'll drive you. So I drive, we get to this church and we pull in, we park the car like normal, but this time we went down to the basement. And I thought, this is really strange, but I didn't say anything. We walked in and there were 10 ladies, not young like me. I was in my 20s. These people were like older. Like when you're 20 and people are 40, that's old, you know. These were old people, fat, skinny. I'm thinking, what is this? They sat down and somebody, you know, does a little prayer. And I think, okay, this is a prayer. Then they do the serenity prayer. Then somebody says, my name is so-and-so and I'm a compulsive overeater. And the hair on my neck went up like this. And somebody said, Supposed overeating is a disease, and I got it. My mother thought I had a disease. She thought I was sick. There was something wrong with me. Well, that was it. The walls went up like this. Zoop! I knew I couldn't move, so I sat there through the whole meeting like this. I hate her. I'm never going to talk to her again. They said the Lord's Prayer. I just about touched her hand when we said the prayer. I was so angry. We got in the car. I said, don't ever tell anybody you took me here, and I don't want to ever talk about it again. I do not have a disease. Well... And I didn't go back to six months. Then the sad part of the story happens. My father got sick, very sick. He was hospitalized for six months, and he lived through that. But that was another reason for me not to stop eating, not to go to OA, and also not to get a job. Because now for the next six months, I ran in and out of New York City being the hero child. Oh, that Lucille, she's such a saint. Oh, she's such a good person. I didn't have a life of my own, so my life was whose ever life was happening. So here my father was sick, so I just moved right into that slot. You know, forgetting that my life is going right along. You know, I wasn't going to stay 19 my whole life, you know, and so another year of my life passed. Now here it is. So now I wake up and I'm 21. No friends, no dates, no I think to myself, this, you know, my whole life is going down the pike. My father lived, thank God, um, and now he's got a life. He's moving along again. Here I am still living with my mother and father. Um, and then the magic happened. This is what happened. I got involved in some kind of crazy relationship. That was a disaster. I had finally gotten this little job working a couple hours a week, and it was a disaster. And my whole life was miserable, and I decided that the only thing left in this life was to either kill myself or go to that crazy OA meeting. But I wouldn't tell anybody. And that's what happened. In 1976, which is 12 years, I guess, from today, sometime this year, I went to my first OA meeting for the first time. I had gone with my mother, but now I went back. And I went in, and I didn't get it right away. But the people were nice. You know, they had kind of remembered me a little bit. And the people kept saying, honey, come back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. 
Um, and I came back, and there was a lot of talk of things like God and a higher power, uh, the gray sheet. The gray sheet was this tiny little food plan with less food for a whole day than I ate before, probably 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. I was petrified. People were, like, doing steps and talking all kinds of stuff. And people then they started to talk about their problems and all kinds of craziness. And I, I really felt really uncomfortable about all that. But I knew that there was no place else to go. I had already done diet pills. My parents had already blackmailed me. People had, like, really, you know, every little thing that you could possibly try, I had already tried. And nothing ever worked. So I went to this OA meeting, and um, I didn't speak at all. I didn't read. If they asked me to read the step, I said no. If they asked me to read the introduction, I said no. They, asked, they called on me. I said I passed. So I just kind of listened, and I hung out. And I tried, to, um, I tried to get on a food plan, but I couldn't get on a food plan. So what I did after about a month of just going and eating the way I felt like eating, I decided that I would try to do the three meals a day. And that's what I did. I ate three large meals a day with nothing in between. Whatever I wanted at the meal. But that was better, I kept saying. But this is better than what you're doing now. Now you're eating every time you, you know, anytime I moved around any place, I was eating, I was notching on something. So I tried that. In a month, I lost a couple of pounds. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. I thought, well, you know, I could do this forever. And I thought, well, you know, these other people are losing weight. Like the first time I went with my mother, there was a woman there and she had on a jumpsuit. And I remembered her. I can see her today. Her name was Steffi. And she was gorgeous. And I never did I tell my mother this, but I knew in my heart that one day I was going to be like her. You know, I wanted to be thin more than anything else in the world. And I could remember that woman. I could remember she was sassy and chomping gum and talking away. And I thought, that's going to be me. I'm going to be in that jumpsuit. In 1983, I came in a jumpsuit. They're not in style, so I didn't wear one today. But, but, <laughs> but in 1983, I wore one. And, and I just had that image in the back of my mind. So here I am eating these three large meals a day, and I decided that maybe, you know, they kept saying, do you have a sponsor? And I kept saying, yeah, I'll call somebody. I didn't call anybody. Yeah, they, yeah, I'd do it. No, I didn't do it. So I didn't do anything they told me to do. But I came to that meeting, the, only that one meeting. I wasn't, you know, every people, other people were going to meetings every day, Saturday, Sunday. Not me. One meeting a week. This was my bargain with God. I'm going to go to this meeting. One meeting a week, and I'm going to get thin. Then I kept going, and it kind of like kind of kept happening for me, like I kept thinking about it, but I couldn't actually be committed. I don't know really when it happened or how it happened, but the thing that sticks in my mind is the paragraph from the big book that says, really, have we seen a person fail? On and on and on. It says, those who cannot or will not give themselves to this simple program. And for some reason, I was listening, and I thought cannot or will not. Cannot means you're socially retarded, Lucille, and that you can't listen to the program. Will not means you know perfectly well what to do. Call your sponsor, weigh and measure your food, but you won't do it. And then I knew that that was who they were talking to. They were talking to me. It wasn't that I can't. I could do it, but I wouldn't do it because I was going to do it my way. I was young. I was attractive. I was going to lose all this weight, and nobody was going to tell me what to do. And then I heard those words, and I decided that I would take a sponsor, that, I, that for the first time I might surrender a little, and that maybe being young was, like, gone now, like, so what, you're young, and <clears throat> doing it my way wasn't working. So I took this sponsor, and she was really wonderful. Cut your hair, throw away those men's clothes. I thought, all you're supposed to do is sponsor me. I'm just supposed to tell you my food. You're not supposed to run my whole life. But it, she wasn't really running my life, but she was really trying to help me get a life. I didn't realize I didn't have a life until I came into OA. And I realized I should get a life because, you know, I mean, people were going on vacation and wearing bathing suits and riding on motorcycles. You know, and my life was just kind of like, I don't know, wasting away. Well, this woman was really wonderful. She, um, 
she got my act together, boy. You call me at this time, and, and, and now again, this is only my experience, and this is the way it was for me. It, it, oh, wait, it's not like this today, but it was that way then. You ate on this sheet, and you did not deviate. Absolutely, you did not deviate one minute, and you wrote everything down, and you called it in the way it was, and you ate on that plan. And I did that for about a year and a half, and boy, I got thin. I, I took that sheet home, and I took her phone number, and every day at 7 o'clock, I called her, and I just had like this picture of this woman in a jumpsuit on my mind, and this was going to be it. Now it's not you can't, it's that you won't, and you can't. And I, every day I got up, I knelt out by the bed. I couldn't even read. I mean, you know, somebody who eats candy from the day they enter kindergarten until they graduate college does not read well, does not write well, does not comprehend well. You know, I, what, does, what are these, the, the primarial ooze? Who knew what any of that meant? I didn't matter. I just knelt down every day, and I read this little book, boom, 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 wrote down myself. I was like a little robot. Wrote, call my sponsor, put my lunch in a bag, went to this little job that, you know, just some little pizzly job, but it was a job. Come home, I'd go to the market and I'd shop. I'd go to the string bean aisle and I'd go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, seven cans of this. And I'd go to the chicken aisle and I'd go one, boom, 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 seven of these, seven of those. And in my house, there was only enough food for three meals a day, seven times a week. So if I ate two apples on Tuesday, there was going to be one short on Sunday. And that was the way it worked in my house. There wasn't a thing in that house that didn't belong, and I never ate anyplace else but in my house and in what was in that brown bag at lunchtime. I could never do that again. That's why I have to maintain my weight, because I could never have that kind of determination and sheer faith. It's like I had blinders on. Nothing else in my life mattered. There wasn't anything else in my life, so it was easy. <laughs> Nothing else mattered but getting thin. And so I did that, and that's what I did. That was in 19, I don't know, end of 1977 through 88, and the summer of 1979, all havoc broke loose. I woke up thin. And I say that because I wasn't really conscious of it. My sponsor told me, you weigh yourself once a month and you don't think about it. I wasn't ever really a fashion queen because my whole life I was wearing size 40, 42, so you're not really into clothes. So I wasn't. So I pretty much just kept wearing my regular clothes. I didn't have a job where I had to dress up. I was working in like a, um, this kind of place where all I had to do was wear jeans and, and T-shirts and stuff like that. So I could get away with wearing big clothes. And, and you know, those days the styles were that. I mean, girls were wearing army jackets and fatigues. And so... The whole time through in this thing, I'm eating three meals a day, and I was getting smaller, and I was kind of aware of it, but I just kept wearing big clothes, and I knew it was happening because I could feel different parts, like my bones and like my waist, and I kind of knew this was happening, but I wasn't really getting in touch with it, um, and I wasn't like wearing smaller clothing. In 1979, my grandmother died, and um, I was down the shore at the time, and then I got word about that, and I thought, oh, what am I going to wear? I'm going to do this, and my sister called me, who was a size 12. And she said, come up here, just come up, you know, with everybody else today, and I, you can wear my clothes. You know, and, like, you know, you're kind of grief-stricken, so you don't really think about that. I didn't think that she's a size 12, I'm probably a size 40, this isn't going to fit me. I just said, okay. So I drove up there, and we got there, and she had laid out a suit for me on the bed. 
And I went in and I, you know, I put this suit on and it was a size 12. Now, my family knew I was losing weight, but they didn't really see me a lot because I had moved out of the house and I was kind of just doing my own thing and I didn't want to be near them because every time I was near them, there was all this other stuff around. So I just pretty much kept to myself. This was like my thing because they had seen me on diets a million times and nothing ever worked. And I didn't want anybody to know about this until it was real. You know, I didn't want to hear any jokes about it. I didn't want to get teased about the God stuff and the praying and all the meetings. So I didn't really tell them. So I got there and I put this suit on and when I came out, it was like all of a sudden there was this big hush. And my sister said, it fits you? <laughs> and I like really looked at myself for the first time and I was wearing a size 12. And I thought, oh my God, it really fit me. Um, we got to the wake and I was walking in the street towards the place and my grandfather was coming towards me and he just tipped his hat and kept walking. And I said, Papa, wait. And he, and he said, oh, my God. And that's exactly what happened through the whole wake. The people would go through the line and see my four sisters and my brother and kind of ignore me. And then they'd stop at my father, and then they would chat and turn, and then this little finger would point, and obviously they would be saying, where's Lucille? And my father would say, well, that's her. Most people hadn't seen me. I had lost 100 pounds, and, and no one had known that. Um, and I felt wonderful and great, and I was just, I, uh, now this was it. All hell broke loose. I was thin, and I did everything they told me, and that was the summer of 79. And about 10 days later, I had the biggest sugar binge of my life. I left my little apartment, and I moved to Asbury Park. It was close to the bars and the disco, and you didn't have to drive. And I was going to be young and single, and I was going to date, and I was going to make up for all that lost time. And so I did start to date a little bit, and it made me nervous, and so I drank a little bit. And when I drank a little bit, I ate a lot. I didn't like to drink so, so much anyway, so I ate more, and I ate more, and I put on 20 pounds in about a month and a half. Oh, I didn't call my OA friends. I forgot to mention that. And I didn't go to OA. Um, I was grief-stricken because my grandmother had died, you know. <laughs> I was out there whooping it up. <laughs> well, it was fun while it lasted, which is a lie. It was horrible. It was not fun. Um, it was the pits. I hated myself. I liked being thin, but I loved eating. You know, I had, I had eaten this little disciplined thing for so long, and now I was let loose, and I was eating all that garbage that I had eaten all those many years. And, and I could see my little body going like this, you know, just blowing right up in front of my eyes. And I kept thinking, it, it won't happen. It couldn't get that big again. I know it couldn't happen. And every day I'd be two pounds heavier, and I weighed myself four times a day at least, you know. Every time I'd eat something, I'd get on the scale, and i think, oh, maybe this, this is going to register. Maybe this won't register. And every night I'd be heavier, and every day I'd be heavier. And every week I'd be heavier. And before you know it, I wasn't a size 12. I was, like, busting out of my size 12, and, oh, it was really painful. And so one night I wandered back into that Red Bank meeting that I had wandered into so many years times before, and, and there was a little man there that I really loved. And I came in late. I always knew how to do this. You come in late, and when they get ready to say the Lord's Prayer, you'll leave because nobody can talk to you. And nobody can say, you know, I think you're having a problem. So I'm on my way out the door, after, just during the Lord's Prayer, and he comes out after me and says, we had not seen you in a long time. I could feel it, you know what I'm thinking. And I helped this guy, so I got an attitude, you know. What is he telling me? And so I'm listening, you know. So he tells me, get in the car with me. So I'm like, hmm. So he's got, I get in the car with him. He's got candy wrappers, the whole back of his seat. <laughs> on that tiny little Toyota, he's got this stuff. I, he says, you see the back of this car? And he lost 100 pounds. He was, I had already lost my weight when he came in, and I had helped him or whatever. But I said, yeah, he says, I never clean out this car because this reminds me of what it used to be like. 
You know, I'm thinking, this guy thinks he's got my number. I couldn't be that heavy already. You know, there's no problem. I'm all right. You know, so I haven't been around a little. You know, it's like that ego. You know, you can, you know, your ego just gets like, you know, in that whole, I can do it alone. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to do it at home. You know, I'll go back to OA when I lose 10 pounds. I'll go back to OA when I lose 15 pounds. I'll go back to OA when I lose 20 pounds. You know, and, and you don't lose it. So he wrote his number down, daytime, nighttime. He said, why don't you call me every two hours? I said, now, why would I call you every two hours? He said, well, you know, if you want me to help you. I said, no, I didn't ask you to help. I don't want to, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> so we're doing this little song and dance back and forth. And he told me, he said, listen, I know you're eating all the time. Well, I was so angry, and I, I really got mad. I said to him, Duh, why are you thinking? No, and I, I lost control, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was really screaming at him, and I was mad, and I told him, no, I'm not eating every two hours. I'm eating every minute. Anything is my side. I'm out of control. I can't stop. I don't want to come back here. I'm here. I'm a big superstar. I'm walking around in this jumpsuit, you know, and I think I got it made. I, I never thought I was going to get fat again. I, I mean, I thought it was going to be magic. Here I am thin. I'm going to stay thin. I didn't know that I was going to go right back to my old eating habits. I mean, for a year and a half, I didn't eat anything but these five little substances, weight and matter on a scale. I, I just didn't think it was going to happen to me. I don't know why. I just don't know why I thought that. Well, he was wonderful. And he gave me his numbers, and I called him. And it wasn't easy, but it happened. we got it back. You know, I called him, and I did it one day, and I didn't do it the next day, and I did it the next day, and ying, ying, ying. And before you know it, I was on a roll again. You know, I was just doing it. But I had to change a lot of things. And, and this is not the uh, Gracie God talk, but I had to change that concept. You know, I had to get on a food plan for life, and I had to realize that maintenance was going to be a long journey. A long journey, a day at a time, and I had to really um, read those steps like, and, and understand them and apply them in my life. I couldn't just get up like a little machine and nail down and do it and right at this little food plan and turn this over and, and, and then just forget about it. I had to really learn to apply those in my life. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, so that's what it was like. That's what happened. And what's it like now? Well, now, it's, 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 it's probably the most wonderful that it's ever been. And in a way, it's, it's more difficult than it's ever been because, you know, there's no regiment. There's no, you must, and... I'm not going to five away meetings a week, and there's a whole lot of things in my life um, now that I have to deal with more than there was then. So in some ways, that was a lot easier, because that's all I did. But now, my life is much fuller. I'm involved in things that I love. I, I love my work. Uh, it's been a long struggle to get to the work that I liked. Me, who had no career, no job interest, couldn't pass a board or an exam. I, I've been able to finish those kind of things. I've been able to go back to college. I never thought that learning to weigh and measure cottage cheese was going to be the same discipline principle that I used to get me through college um, and my degrees. I learned how to study the same way I learned how to measure my food. You know, every day it was like you do this, this, and this, and I learned how to come home from class and do this. This is first you read the book, then you do the outline, then you do this. First you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Then this is how you get a job. First you write the application, then you type the resume, then you mail them out. So I had really learned, and, what, and that's where my life is today, I really learned that the things that I learned from OA, you know, those little steps that I learned, those little things that I laughed at, all those little slogans, a day at a time, easy does it, first things first, those things have really transformed my life. Those, that is my life. I tell you, that all these other wonderful things in my life, 
they're all in my life because I still do these other little tiny things. Um, so that's where it's at today. My food plan is um, there. It is not the gray sheet, but I do choose to eat on a plan. I think that a plan is necessary. I think that I need those kind of guidelines in my life. I don't have the same rigidity that I had um, 10 years ago, but I have to, for me, have a plan in my life. I have to know that this is the time I get up. I try to eat on a schedule because I also think that compulsive overeating is a physical disorder. I think that my blood sugar is affected. I think that if I get up at 6 and eat breakfast and think I can wait till 3 o'clock, I'm out of my mind because at 2 o'clock I'm on my way to the vending machine if I do that. So I plan ahead. Um, I try to think where will I be at lunchtime, where will I be at dinner time, what do I need. I shop, I food shop on a regular basis. Um, I cook for myself, um, I cook for my partner. It's important that I have that kind of discipline in my life. I'm not like so rigid that I bring my own lunch in a paper bag to my sisters at Thanksgiving. I trust God that there's going to be some abstinent food there and that I can be like an, a person, like a lady, and that I'm not going to eat like a gorilla when I get there. <laughs> when I bow my head before I say grace, I close my eyes and I whisper this little prayer to myself. And one day my sister said to me, what do you say when you pray? I say, dear God, please help me not eat like a gorilla. And she said, is that really what you pray? I said, yeah. And, and sometimes it's embarrassing because when I'm in public, people say to me, oh, would you say the grace? Because they see me bow. And I think, oh, you better change it, you know. <laughs> you better change it fast. So that's what I do. Um, so maintenance is long term. That's what my life is about today. I monitor myself pretty closely. I stay a size 12. I'm either a lean size 12 or a stuffed size 12. When I start to feel myself, my jeans, and say to myself, he's a little snug, then I cut back. So I figure there are losing days, maintaining days, and gaining days. You know, I can't have too many gaining days in the world. A gaining day for me is when I go on vacation. I normally eat two tablespoons of fat a day. You go on vacation, you eat about four pounds. You know, I can't help that. I mean, I can ask the man, please don't cook the fish in, you know, two pounds of butter, but he does, no matter what I tell them. You know, as much as I tell them, and as good as they are, you know, you, you can't be perfect, or I can't be perfect. So I just kind of go with it, you know. I don't ruin the whole dinner because they don't have the perfect vegetable that I want. I eat the one that's provided. It took me years to learn that. You know, I always had to be such an extremist. It had to be the perfect food, or I ate junk. You know, now I just kind of flex with it. I try to go with it. I try to just um, accept that I'm powerless over food. I am powerless over food. My mother was right. I had a disease. I still have the same disease. I live in this body, but I have an obese insides. There's little obese little fat cells. I can hear them inside screaming, feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, and if I feed them, they get big. You know, I am convinced that my body can go back to the size that it was at one time. I know that now. I don't, I don't mess with that. I don't think that it's not possible for me. I don't think that I'm excused from that. I read an article this week in a magazine. It said 80 million Americans <clears throat> are overweight. It's a lot of people. I don't know, 46 million women and 15 million men go on a diet every day. That's a lot of diets. Two to five percent of those people maintain that weight loss. 
Today, I'm one of those two to five percent of those people who have maintained that weight loss for 10 years this July. I don't have to be among those statistics. You know, I don't have to be one of those eight million Americans who are overweight anymore because I choose to come to OA and I choose to, you know, do it the way I did it then. People ask me, you know, what is your life different now? What do you do different now? What is it like? It's really the same. I go to a meeting or two. You know, I don't make five meetings a week anymore. I do have a sponsor. I call. I talk about my food. You know, when I'm in trouble, I don't turn my food over every day, but I write it down every day because it helps me. I pray. I ask God to help me. I pray before I eat at meal times. You know, I may do that silently. Or I may just close my eyes, but I take a minute to just kind of pause and settle myself down because I know that that substance doesn't have to have power over me if I don't give it power. And I mostly thank God for the life that I have now. My life is so different. I live happy, joyous, and free. You know, I go on vacation. I wear a bathing suit. I ride a bike. I ride on a motorcycle. I do just about everything. My body isn't perfect, but I accept that I'm a body among bodies. I am not the thinnest in the room, but I'm not the fattest. And I don't have the worst scars. I just have scars. You know, I, um, I do things that I always dreamt of doing while I laid on the couch in a bathroom. Today, I just thank God for the things that, that he's given me. And I hope that this weekend, as we continue to share and go to workshops and do those things, we'll be able to gain, you know, from my experience and my strength and hope. And I'm here to give that to you. So if you have questions and want to ask them, please leave them in the box. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. to take this time for uh, sharing positive pitches, anything you'd like to say, anything that's on your mind. Um, I understand that you'd have to sort of sit a minute and think and absorb, but just give you a little bit of time and you don't need to race up here, but if you just sort of crawl up here <laughs> and share. We would like you to come up here and share because it's being taped and I think that's important. Sometimes the sharing is, is real important. that. <laughs> I'm Bobby and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I liked it. Um, of course, you probably didn't expect that. Um, I too ate like a gorilla, but I didn't know it. I didn't know those expressions. Um, and I also had huge, huge, huge meals with nothing in between when I started. And uh, little by little, I was able to cut it down to uh, person size <sighs> meals. Um, and I didn't think, I didn't know until when I came into OA that I had a disease. I didn't know there was a name for what I had. And when I came to OA and found out that there was a name for it, that it was a called compulsive overeating, it, it made me feel so wonderful 
because I thought I was just an insane person and that I had the secret and that nobody else ate like this in the whole world. I realized that other people overate or ate things that were wrong or things that weren't good for them, but I never thought there was another person in the world who was as nutty as I about food and that ate the way that I did when I didn't feel hungry at all or even when I was happy or when I was sad or it didn't make any difference what I felt. And I didn't even know what I felt half the time because I was just thinking about the food. And when I came into OA, I really felt like I was at home. I was very fortunate to go into a wonderful meeting Monday night at Inglewood. And it was, uh, it was just real warm and caring, and uh, it was my group therapy. And um, I know that um, I've been around a long time, and I'm going to be here when I'm real, real old. I kind of wish some days that they had a compulsive overeaters retirement home or something. Wouldn't that be kind of neat? Let's start one. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? So close. <laughs> I just wait because I know that I always sit there and I have something to say, but I don't want to be the first and I just sort of sit there. Hi, I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. I don't have much to say. It's just that I feel um, really motivated, and it's I'm real excited. I'm I'm here, and and I just feel like I just now I you know said a silent prayer to you know just really have a new commitment to really work in the program and and um, just having all the joy and, and hope and all that I hear from you. So thanks for sharing. Hi, I'm Barb, a compulsive overeater. That feels so good. And I don't really know what it is I have to share. I just know that for my own recovery, I need to be up here. I'm real grateful for what I've heard already. I'm real grateful to be here. Uh, my story dates back almost that far, but um, I came into the program, too, and got all charged up over the gray sheet and the orange sheet and just, you know, went to town on it and lost the fifth pound and was just Miss OA in our area and just, you know, did super well and 
along with another gal who was also Miss OA, we decided we needed a maintenance group because our problems were special. <laughs> okay? So that's where I was. And um, then suddenly uh, God took a hold of my life and decided I needed to be in a different area. And I was moved with my job and practically all of my family down to Columbus where I just really didn't want to be and uh, couldn't find meetings like back home. You know, I'd go in there and people didn't hug me like they did back home. Of course, I went in late and I left early. <laughs> and uh, same thing happened to me, yeah. After, um, I suppose, about eight years of maintaining, uh, it started to come back. And it was real subtle. I mean, at first, uh, it seemed like the emotions went. And, well, that was okay, because I was still maintaining the weight, you know. Uh, willing to go to any length. Oh, yeah, I could find uh, the diet pills again. And I could find uh, all the exercise like crazy. Scandinavian, that'll do instead of a meeting. Uh, I could find all other methods, you know, looking for the easier, softer way. Well, it didn't work. The weight all came back on, and I was a very miserable person. Um, it wasn't just my weight that was miserable, it was my whole life. And I was chasing around, trying to help everybody else fix it, you know, fix what was wrong with them, until I finally decided that there just wasn't anything, anything worth losing my abstinence over. And uh, about 18 months ago, I decided that was it for me. And if it took eight meetings a week, and at that point, that's what it took for me. Um, if it took therapy, that's what it took. Um, I had to know serenity again, and nothing was worth losing that serenity for. And um, some real loving people were willing to love me until I could love myself. Um, some real loving people who knew what I needed more than I did. Uh, were willing to vote me into offices of service that I knew I couldn't handle. There was no way, but that did me more good. I just can't pitch enough for service. Service will do it for you and nothing else will because it'll get your ass back to the meeting where you need to be. That's what did it for me. I mean, all these things it took. I had to really work at it this time. It was different. And I really have a burden for people in relapse because it's so present with me. Um, got onto these assemblies and uh, into a 12-step within. Um, I thought, well, it'll just be nice. I'll just go to these meetings and, you know, it'll work like magic. Well, it doesn't work like <coughs> magic. You've got to do some footwork with it. And uh, so now we're trying in our area to get, get some real purpose in a committee on relapse. And I really covet everybody's prayers for that because uh, I know if it hadn't have been for the people in this program, well, in a lot of different 12-step programs, because I found out that I needed more 
for my life at that point, I needed more than just OA. That was my chief addiction, but I needed other 12-step programs too. And I just found loving people in every one of them, and there wasn't, I couldn't find any difference in their addiction. Um, I wasn't using these other substances, but my feelings were the same. I was identifying with just how they felt, and I was getting the same results. So I needed these other meetings. And uh, I just used whatever I had to. I just kept praying for what was really best for me because I tried good things long enough, what was good for me. And uh, a lot of things that I thought were good for me just didn't turn out that way. It was good for me to sit in front of the TV with my family. Wasn't that good loving thing to do? Well, I found myself, you know, 50 pound heavier doing good loving things. Um, I found out that doing what was best for me turned out to be what was best for my family. Um, I liked me a lot better working the steps and working at the program. And it just, I don't know, it just, I let go of what other members of the family and what other friends thought. And pretty soon I turned around and, and I had more. I had more uh, healthy relationships. I wasn't trying to fix everybody because I was so caught up in the stuff that was wrong with me. Um, that's just how it's it's happened, and I every day that I live, I find out that there's more and more that I need to do um, with myself. I need to work more actively on my prayer life. I find that it's very easy to get away from this. I was so looking forward to getting here and finding some time to unwind and and. Uh, it was really neat when I called a friend and found out I could get in at the last minute. So I'm just really grateful to be here. Thanks. I'm Peg. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. And I didn't bother to put my shoes on first, and I don't care, so there. Uh, <laughs> you said not to compare, but I can't help it because I went away to college to get away from my parents because that would solve my entire life, and then left, ended up leaving before I graduated so that I could work everything out. And I, too, spent a good deal of the 70s lying around in a bathroom watching TV and gaining weight. Um, it's just... God, hard not to compare. I mean, we lived the same life, only mine was here in Ohio. Um, I lost my weight outside of program. I weighed at my top 255 pounds and lost the weight on, you know, just by forcing myself to lose weight, right? Uh, and found, you know, that, yes, I do have a disease. Well, I didn't realize that that part until I came into program, but I had a disease and could not maintain a sane level of eating, maintain a sane weight without some kind of outside help. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was like more or less what you could call normal in terms of at least the outside part of me. 
Um, I'm still not normal on the inside, folks. Um, but it wasn't until I was at something approaching a normal weight that I started purging on any kind of a regular basis. Um, and I know I need this program today, number one, to keep me from purging, because that's still, you know, I mean, it's been like six years now since I purged, but it still crosses my mind as being an alternative sometimes. It, the insanity of this disease, you know, it's just like, oh my God, I eat too much. We know how to take care of that, don't we? Uh, and I'm just real grateful to God that I haven't in, in quite some time. But I need help, and I need this program. Uh, you know, I still want to lose some weight, and with God's help, I will. By myself, I'm, I'm screwed, but with God's help, I will. And with God's help, I can keep the weight off. Um, and two, I liked what you said about getting a life, you know, because... Uh, I'm making great strides in that direction. Um, you know, I no longer have to be home for Laverne and Shirley reruns. But, um, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still real easy for me to be just kind of a sedentary lump, you know. And still real easy for me to, while being a sedentary lump, get back in here inside my head someplace and just do all sorts of weird stuff, you know, inside my head. And I need the program to keep me from doing that, too. Um, because I, I deserve more than that. And I think everybody in this room deserves more than that. And I think God wants me to have a life other than sitting around just kind of vegetating. So I am here. And God, it is so neat to look out here and see all these people, you know. And... A lot of you are people I've known forever, and a lot of you are people I've known just over the last couple of years, and a lot of you I've never seen before in my life, but it's, it's all okay, and it's really neat, and I'm real glad to be here. Thank you. From all this time in OA, I've become very sensitive and attuned, and I can tell that even though many people's mouths are open, they are not eating, they are yawning. <laughs> so maybe it's time to, uh, to say goodnight and to end, but I'll give you one last chance. There's somebody who wants to come up and share, but no, I can see that this was a welcome thing. <laughs> I want to remind everybody that there is a guided walk through the woods at 7.30 tomorrow in the morning. And um, you will take your life in your hands, but I will be your guide. <laughs> I do have a map. I have a map, and I went out today, and there are little yellow things tied all around on the trees. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be real, medita real meditative and real quiet, and there's all kinds of birds and nifty things out there. No bad things. Did see a toad. <laughs> And it'll be a lot of fun, yeah. Meet in the uh, front entry where you came in, where the desk is, where you uh, signed in. Does anybody have to register still? 
to, for the walk now. Just you get a you get a name tag and you get all kinds of nifty stuff. Okay. Any questions before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're eating upstairs this year. For those of you who've been here, I know everybody's quiet. See, I'm talking about the food. <laughs> Notice a hush comes over the room. Last year we ate downstairs. This year we eat upstairs. Okay, it's the same place. There's food there. It's the same. Don't panic, but it's just upstairs. I know you will. And and breakfast is at 8:30. So we have the walk is from 7:30 to 8. You will have a half an hour to get yourself together, and you will still get breakfast. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. Upstairs where is a good question. Uh, you know where you came downstairs? Don't do it. Keep going. <laughs> it's that away. About 10 feet. Not too far. There'll be a line. <laughs> and we'll all be going. Okay, <laughs> have a real good evening. Good night. <laughs>